0: Jonah, chapter 3. Please, turn in your Bibles to Jonah, chapter 3. It's kind of sandwiched in there amongst all the minor prophets in the Old Testament. So if you need some help, you're using that Bible under the seat in front of you, page 1067. Jonah, chapter 3. Lord, I pray your blessing over the teaching of your word this evening. You are all powerful. Everything about you, Lord, is powerful. Including your love and your grace and your mercy. Your compassion. I ask that you would bless this evening, change our hearts, bring us closer to you. In Jesus' name, amen. There have been some awesome revivals in church history. How many of you saw the Jesus Revolution movie? They did such a great job. Of showing that revival in the late 60s, early 70s, where God got a hold of the hippies. That's the actual real Chuck and Lonnie, an actual picture that took place there at the Pirate's Cove. God touched many, many people, changed many lives, many people got saved. And uh, by the way, a thousand Calvary chapels now exist because of that, and we're one of them. Great revival. Then there's the Welsh revival of 1904. This took place in Wales, an outpouring of God's Spirit. It's estimated that in that year, 150,000 people got saved, lives changed. The revival was so amazing that bars went bankrupt when vast segments of society gave up alcohol. (laughs) I even read, and I'm not kidding, new mules were purchased for the coal mines when the old mules didn't know how to take orders now that their owners no longer used cuss words. We're told that that revival did spread. In fact, many believe that's what spawned the Azusa Street revival in our country, which birthed many of today's Pentecostal denominations. In the 18th century, there were two spiritual awakenings. In the first spiritual awakening, it took place in England and traveled over into America Guys like Jonathan Edwards preaching. Thousands of people came to Christ. That revival led to the abolition of slavery in England. Changes to child labor laws. Freedom spread throughout the world. Including America. There was a revival going on in America at that time. Leading up to their Declaration of Independence and the Constitution based on Judeo-Christian principles. There was a second great awakening in that century. Huge numbers saved. Uh, That led up to the abolition of of slavery in America. Then, of course, in the 1500s, who could forget Martin Luther and the Reformation... The five solas, faith alone, grace alone, Christ alone, scripture alone, the glory of God alone, and thousands of people got saved, God moved. Don't you love revivals? Makes me think back to the early church, the birth of the church in Acts chapter 2. The Holy Spirit poured out upon his people. Church is born Peter preaches 3,000 souls saved on one day. Do you want revival? Some really believe that God is stirring in this country. The Asbury church service that went two weeks, young people. Returning to the Lord, looking for meaning, finding it in the Lord. It's spreading throughout different universities. I sense that God wants, I know God wants revival. There's been great revivals. Well, in Jonah chapter 3, we read the story of perhaps the greatest revival in all of history going back 2,800 years ago in the ancient city of Nineveh. The entire city got saved. And this chapter tells the story. Look at verse 1. It says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the what time? The second time. Saying, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the message that I tell you. Now, it's really ironic that the greatest revival in history occurred in part through the preaching of the most reluctant preacher in history. (laughs) This is round two for Jonah, as you know. This is the second time God calls him to go to Nineveh and preach. The first time is recorded in verse 1 of chapter 1. It was the exact same command, go to the same place, Nineveh, to the same people, the Ninevites, for the same activity to preach, and with the same urgency, go now. Round one didn't go that well for Jonah, though, did it? Jonah hated the Ninevites. He resigned as a prophet. He went the opposite direction. He threw a hissy fit. Had a temper tantrum. Tried to run away from God. Gets on a boat, sails to Tarshish, trying to get as far away as he possibly can. God... Didn't let him go. God ran him down. God sent a storm. God sent Jonah overboard. God sent Jonah into the belly of a great fish three days and three nights. And God eventually had that fish. Projectile vomit. Jonah... Right up onto dry ground. Now that was not a pleasant experience. We talked a lot about what he suffered last time together. It was this scary thing. And so when we get back here to chapter 3, we've come back to square 1. And this time God again commands him in verse 2. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city. Preach it, the message that I tell you. And what did Jonah do this time? Verse 3. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh. According to the word of the Lord, he no doubt thought, I'm done with fish. I'm moving forward. God won that battle of wills. And there's this really beautiful, beautiful truth that comes out of this story. And this is one of the things that we should love about the God that we serve. He never gives up on his people. God really is the God of the second chance, third chance, many chances. Listen carefully. God does not discard the ones that fail him. He doesn't write them off. He seeks after them. I mean, you think about Jonah absolute rebellion, deliberate, almost like in God's face. And God could have let him sail to his little dreamland, Tarshish. God could have let him sink. But he didn't. God loves his workers more than the work that he wants to do through his workers. And you see that throughout Scripture. Moses failed God, Abraham failed God, Noah failed God, David failed God. Think of the Apostle Peter, how he failed God, denying that he knew the Lord three times. And yet God gave him another chance. It's been said that God is a coach with a no-cut policy. He wants you on the team. He won't desert you like others. No matter how much you've blown it. Now that doesn't mean that the Lord won't discipline you. God will. The Lord disciplined Jonah, didn't he? I think in probably one of the most creative ways in the history of discipline. But why did God discipline Jonah? Because he loved him. To get him on track. Hebrews chapter 12 says. You have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. My son do not despise the chastening of the Lord. Nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves he chastens. And he scourges every son whom he receives. God will discipline us. Not because he's mad at us, but because he loves us. Are, we have any parents here? How hard is it to discipline your kids? Well, it depends how bad they were, right? But we don't like to discipline our kids. But if we don't, we're hurting them long term. A real mom and a real dad will discipline kids because they're they, they, they want to mold them into who they need to be when they grow up to be men and women. So listen very carefully. If you're a born-again Christian here tonight, and God is your heavenly Father, God has plans for you. God wants to move you in a direction. God wants to move you places. God has things that he wants to do in and through you. God has things that he wants to change in your life. And you may not want to do it. You might throw your little hissy fit. Throw a temper tantrum. You might even, like Jonah, try to go the wrong direction and run away. Thank God he runs us down. Amen? He loves us. He will not allow us to waste our lives. He'll come after us. Now, I do think as we grow in our walks with Christ, we should learn lessons an easier way than Jonah did. Don't you think? We should grow in that. Don't always learn your lessons as a Christian the hard way. And you know the easy way to learn your lesson? When the word of the Lord comes to you, obey it. Verse 1, the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. He obeyed at that time. The word of the Lord came to Jonah in chapter 1. He didn't obey it. He didn't have to go through everything that he went through had he just obeyed the word of the Lord. Christian, here's your word of the Lord. The Bible. This is the book that tells you how to do everything in life. Psalm 119, your word is a lamp unto my feet, a light to my path. Your word I've hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Joshua 1.8, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. You'll meditate in it day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. Then you will make your way prosperous. Then you will have good. There's the promise. If you know God's word and do it. You can avoid so many bad things in life. 2 Timothy 3.16 All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man or the woman of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Here's the word of the Lord. It's much easier to learn to from the word of the Lord and obey. Now you might say, well, I don't, have, I don't have time to read my Bible. Well, then you're going to have to make time for the fish. <laughs> Let God speak to you, mold you, nudge you, direct you through his word. Obey it, follow it, don't learn things the hard way. Now, even with our best, best intentions, this side of heaven, we're frail, aren't we? We blow it. We do make mistakes. We fall down. We've all done so. I've done so. As a Christian, I've made some mistakes. I've done the silliest things. But we have a God. Never forget who wants you on the team and will restore you. I came across a beautiful quote that really ministered to me and I want to share it with you. The victorious Christian life isn't a line of unbroken triumphs. It's a series of new beginnings. And that is true for every Christian. Please know that. Maybe you're here tonight and you need a new beginning. Maybe you've been running from what God has called you to do. Maybe there's some sinful activity in your life that you've been holding on to. Maybe you're under the discipline hand of the Father. Maybe you think, I can never be used by God again. Look at what God did with Jonah. Look what he did with Jonah. So this time Jonah obeyed. What did he do? He went to Nineveh. Now, what happened when he got to Nineveh? So Jonah arose, verse 3, and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now, Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three-day journey in extent. And Jonah began to enter the city on the first day's walk. Then he cried out and said, Yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So Jonah made the trip. Nineveh. Nineveh is a great city, it said. It took Jonah three days to go in and around the city. In those days, they could average about 20 miles per day. So, about 60 miles to go all the way around Nineveh, in and through it. He was probably a little nervous. The Assyrians were not nice people. He was probably uncomfortable. But he was thought, probably thinking to himself, I'd rather be uncomfortable in God's will for my life than in the belly of a fish for three days, right? For three days, he went in and out of Nineveh. And he preached. It says he proclaimed loudly. That means he proclaimed loudly. And look at his message, so inspirational. Five words in Hebrew. Forty days and Nineveh is overthrown. Forty days, Nineveh gone. Forty days, Nineveh is toast. They'll be overthrown. This is the word that's used in the Bible when it speaks of God overthrowing Sodom and Gomorrah. Forty days till God judges you. Now, I think this is the gist Of what he said. I think he probably said some other things. I'll bet they said well why. And I'm sure Jonah. Reminded them of their great acts of wickedness. And no doubt they probably thought. Well whose God are you. And Jonah no doubt. Told them about the living God. But this is the gist. Of Jonah's message. Now. If you ever go to seminary. um, There's these classes that preachers are supposed to take. They're called. So it's a class called Homolytics, and it, it's where they teach you how to put sermons together in, in, a, in a certain way. Jonah would have failed homolytics, <laughs> he broke everything in the handbook on homolytics. They teach you to put these real structured, organized messages together, beautiful inspirational, hopeful. Yeah, you can bring some conviction, but you also need to bring some hope. Jonah broke all the rules. (laughs) Judgment is coming. But that's all right, because that's what God told him to preach. And he did. And God did amazing things through it. Look at verse 5. So the people of Nineveh believed God, proclaimed a fast, put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. Now when it says the people of Nineveh, all the people of Nineveh, they all repented. They all became believers in God. You notice it says they believed God, not Jonah the prophet, but the God of Jonah the prophet. They put faith in God. They repented radically. They mourned. They started fasting. They put sackcloth on. All of them from the least to the greatest. Repentance even entered the White House of Nineveh to King Biden. Look what it says in verse 6. Then the word came to the king of Nineveh and he arose from his throne, laid aside his robe, covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. Now you think about that. Wouldn't that be cool if the leaders of this country got that way? This is the greatest king. You know, the top, he gets off his throne, takes off his robe, throws on sackcloth. Sits in a pile of ashes. That's radical. Verse 7, and it says, He caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, So now an official decree from the king let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock taste anything, do not let them eat or drink water. He proclaimed a fast not only for the human beings, but for the animals. Verse 8, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. And get this, cry mightily to God. Yes, let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. You see that? This is genuine repentance. The king of Nineveh says, I declare that everyone will fast. Everyone will put on sackcloth. And we will turn from our evil ways, from our acts of violence, we will cry mightily out to the Lord. Incredible. He says, who can tell if God will turn and relent and turn away from his fierce anger so that we may not perish? We believe God, we hear the message, we repent. God, we're at your mercy. From the king all the way down. Verse 10. Then God saw their works. That they turned from their evil way. And God relented from the disaster that he had said he would bring upon them. And he did not do it. God spared them. God gave them a brand new chance. Estimates are that there were 600,000 people living in that area. Possibly 800,000. Some would say even up to a million people. Can you imagine if the population of El Paso, in three days, from the governor, from the mayor, from the top notches, all the way down to the lowest worker. Fell on their face before God and repented. And God gave them a brand new chance. That's what happened. Now there are the skeptics of the Bible. There are the critics of the Bible who totally criticize. They say this can't happen. These are the same guys that say there's no way a man could live in a fish. Three days and three nights. And they say there's absolutely no way that some foreign prophet could show up at Nineveh and by himself speak this message and watch the entire population turn to God. They say that's just not possible. Well, it is possible. God did it. And many Bible scholars believe that God had been reaching out to those Ninevites in the years leading up to the visit of Jonah. God was plowing the ground. God was drawing them to himself. God was warned. We know in the years leading up to Jonah's visit that things were not good in Nineveh. They were weakened militarily. They started losing some battles. There was some unrest in their leadership. And that was a cause for concern. But then historians also know that in 765 BC, a deadly plague struck Nineveh like a pandemic, like a COVID. And many people in Nineveh died. June fifteenth, seven 763 B.C., there was a total eclipse of the sun. Now, back then, they didn't understand what that was. Somebody turned the lights out. The sun turned off. And people would have seen that as an ominous sign. That same time, a minor earthquake hit their area. And then in 759 BC, another deadly plague struck Nineveh. Another pandemic, many more people died. And that is right about the time that Jonah arrives. <laughs> God loved those Ninevites so much, He was plowing ground. He was softening hearts. They were beginning to look to the sky. Now there's something else that's really interesting about this story. As I told you before, uh, Nineveh was known for its idolatry. They, they worshipped all kinds of different gods. And they had temples to all kinds of different gods. They worshipped a god in one of their temples in Nineveh, a god by the name of Dagon. Now, Dagon um, has like the head and hands of a human being and the body of a fish. Now, do you remember when, uh, when it says that God sent a great fish to swallow Jonah? That doesn't necessarily mean whale. The Hebrew for fish is Dag. The Ninevites worshipped Dagon, the fish man. In a temple. And by the way. Dagon goes way back. Before Jonah. It goes all the way back to the day of Samuel the prophet. In fact there's a really. Funny story. About Dagon. In 1 Samuel chapter 5. I don't know if you guys remember this story. But. The Philistines. Somehow got their hands on the Ark of the Covenant. You remember the story? And they took the Ark of the Covenant. They brought it to Ashdod and they set it in the temple of Dagon, the fish god. So they lock the temple up. They all go to bed. They come back the next morning. And poor Dagon's fallen off his his little pedestal. It's fallen right before the Ark of the covenant, And I always picture this silly little idol saying, I've fallen and I can't get up. (laughs) And so you have this incredible scene where all the worshipers of Dagon gather around their statue to help it up. They put it back up on the pedestal. They (laughs) They lock the temple again. They all go to sleep. They come back in the next morning Dag on it, (laughs) dagging. Well, he's fallen over again. And this time, he's been destroyed. And then, because the Philistines have the Ark of the Covenant, they begin breaking out in boils and plagues. So eventually they say, Get rid of the Ark. This is the same dagon that the Assyrians worship. And it even gets better. The Assyrians believed that Dagon could manifest himself literally like a male mermaid. the man fish. And in fact, the name of their manifestation for Dagon in this form was Olanus. Which is closely spelled to Jonah. So that just makes everything about this story a whole lot more interesting, don't you think? These guys worship the fish god named Dagon. Here's a guy that got spit out of a dag. And by the way, remember we talked about that guy? They found that one guy who had been inside of a fish for, and you know, if you're in, if you're in digestive juices in a belly's fish, or a fish's belly, I should say, it, it, it impacts your skin. In fact, they said he came out wrinkled white, hairless, skin like parchment. Perhaps that happened to Jonah. Maybe Jonah came out of the fish and he looked like that dude. I don't know. (laughs) I mean, listen, if you've been inside a fish for three days, if you've been inside a fish for three days, you come out and you look different. And Jonah no doubt looked different. We have no idea where the fish puked Jonah out. But somebody must have saw him. Somebody saw Jonah. Could you imagine you're on a family vacation? With your, you're at the beach. Your body, you know, surfing. And, all, and this whale shows up and launches this dude out. Jonah was launched out. You know, we don't know. He may have been thrown up right there on the Mediterranean Sea. Some think that the fish went further up into the Black Sea, which got closer to Nineveh, threw him up there. Some have even suggested that he found its way into the Tigris River and barfed up Jonah right there next to Nineveh. Now, that could explain why they responded so well. <laughs> Never know. Was Jonah known as the guy who had spent three days and three nights in the belly of a fish, a dag? And he's the guy that shows up? Did you know that in the Gospels, Jesus speaks of the sign of Jonah. We spoke about it last week, how it would represent his resurrection. Jesus also says that Jonah himself would be a sign to the Ninevites. So they've seen the plagues. They've seen the earthquake, the solar eclipse. And now here comes the prophet from the belly of a fish. God saved them all. Now, we don't know exactly how all that went together, but I promise you, God was working behind the scenes, preparing the hearts. God loved the Ninevites. There's this verse. Ezekiel 33, verse 11. Say to them, as I live, says the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn away from his way and live. Turn from your evil ways. Why should you die, O house of Israel? Why perish? The Lord is not slack concerning his promises. Some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Listen, Christian, God is not only the God who gives you as his second chances and third chances and fourth chances and five chances. He also gives the wicked chance. He has a heart of compassion. remember those Ninevites were wicked they were sexually perverted they were idolatrous they were violent bloodthirsty gross people their their society had reached the cesspool of human depravity and yet God was moving in their lives sent Jonah 800,000 Saved. That's revival. That's revival. You want revival? Could that be real revival? Do you want it? See. The problem is God wants revival more than his people. That's the problem. Too many Christians are like Jonah. God says go and they go the other way. But God can use his people in a marvelous way. There's a... Verse that I want to share. This is what Jesus said to his disciples. This has got to be. A a top 10 verse for me. I love this. It says in Matthew 9. When he saw the multitudes. He was moved with compassion for them. Because they were weary. And scattered like sheep. Having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples. The harvest truly is. Plentiful. But the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. You know, a lot of times we think of evangelism as this real scary, hard, difficult thing. Oh, I'm afraid to preach. They're going to be mean. Jesus said, looking out over the fields of humanity, all the people without a sheep, without a shepherd, And Jesus said the harvest is plentiful. That means that there are people all around us just waiting to be picked. And I want you to consider something from the story of Jonah, my brother and sister in Christ. God is working in the lives of those people all around you. Do you understand that God is prepping hearts? He's arranging circumstances. All he needs is a messenger. Someone who will speak. And he'll use you. He'll use you. I will never forget, I was on a mission trip. I just graduated from the School of Ministry. In uh, Albuquerque, and I went on a mission trip, uh, Eastern Europe. We went and saw Yugoslavia. There's no Yugoslavia anymore; that's split up. But we visited Yugoslavia. We were in uh, Germany. We were in Hungary. Um, and I'll tell you what: when you're when you're on a mission trip, you're just you're looking. There's something like you, you man. You just you're ready, and you you want to make. You're there, and you're looking for opportunities, and, and, and God really, really grabbed a hold of me on that mission trip and uh, used me in in mighty ways, in different ways, even when I didn't want to be used. Now, I'm, I'm going to tell you a story, okay? Our our group had rented out a nightclub in Baja, Hungary, and we had the cry with us, a worship band that would gathered the crowd. And we were in this nightclub, and we were... Um, you know, they were, they were doing the concert, and people were there, and there was translators. And I was just in a bad mood. I was tired. There were personal issues with the team that I was involved in. <laughs> so I, I sort of left the main ballroom, and I went up the stairs, and I went onto the roof. And I just tried to hide away. I was just hid away at the top in the shadows on this roof. And I was just having a pity party. I was just, I don't want to be involved in this tonight. So I'm there, and all of a sudden, this couple also comes to the roof and approaches me, and they both have cigarettes. And they say, can you give me a light? And I said, "I, (laughs) I don't have a lighter. And so they put away their cigarettes, and then they just stood there. And looked at me. And finally I said, um, can I help you with something? And, he sa- and they said, y- you're, you're one of those Americans, right? How'd you know? Yeah, yeah, I'm one of the Americans. <laughs> and then God put in my heart that I didn't have a light for their cigarette. But I had a light for their soul. And that was my segue. You know, that's how my segue was to sharing the gospel with that couple. I don't have a light for your cigarette, but I've got a light for your soul. The Holy Spirit gave me that. And on that roof, by a reluctant preacher, God used me. And that couple gave their life to Christ. And they're born again. And I'll never forget the lesson I learned that light. God will use you even when you don't want to be used. So please don't ever think that you're not usable. And don't ever think that God can't revive your life. And use you in another great revival. And I want to see one, don't you? Father, I pray for that revival. I do. I pray for a revival in this country. I thank you, Lord. God, I praise your people. We'd never forget how good you are to us. Lord, I pray we'd never lose sight of that time in our life when we were living in darkness, we were blind, we were hurting, we were confused, we didn't know which way was up. And you reached out and saved us. And you gave us hope. And you sent a messenger to do that. And we never forget. And I pray, Lord, that you would put a hunger in our hearts and in our souls to reach out to others that we would believe you when you say that the harvest is plentiful. Lord, I want to pray for anyone here tonight who feels like they can't be on the team anymore, who feels like they've blown it, they've gone too far away brother, sister, listen listen God wants to restore you right now give you a brand new shot maybe you've been under his disciplining hand he's calling you hey you're here, that's good let God renew you And if that's you, I just want you to come back to him right now. Say, Lord, I'm coming back to you. I'm coming back. I'm tired of running away from you. I run to you. Take me, mess and all. Restore me, change me. Maybe you're here tonight and you've never received Christ Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You've never responded to the gospel message. Ah, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. We've all sinned. We've all blown it. We all have wicked hearts. That separates us from the God who made us and loves us. But God sent his son. To die on the cross for you. And rise again that third day. and He can be your savior right now. He can change you. You can become a child in his family right now. If you've never received him pray this prayer by faith Lord Jesus come into my life wash away my sins make me a child in your family I want to be yours I want to belong to you fill me with your spirit in Jesus name amen amen